0: passage ran straight at last up an incline and at the end wide open were great double doors leading probably to deep chambers far below the high horn of the tower already the orcs with their burden had passed inside gorbag and shagrat were drawing near the gate sam heard a burst of hoarse singing blaring of horns and banging of gongs a hideous clamor gorbag and shagrat were already on the threshold sam yelled and brandished sting but his little voice was drowned in the tumult no one heeded him the Great Door slammed to. Boom. The bar, the bars of iron fell into place inside. Clang. The gate was shut. Sam hurled himself against the bolted, brazen plates and fell senseless to the ground. He was out in the darkness. Frodo was alive, but taken by the enemy. The Way Lesser Inklings podcast attempts to pay homage to the great writers, thinkers, and philosophers of the 20th century known as the Inklings, and to try to inspire a love for reading literature and finding the good, the true and the beautiful in the written word. Welcome back to the Way Lesser Inklings Podcast. My name is Josh Rice. I'm one of the hosts, and with me again is my brother Jake. Say hey. Hey. This is the long awaited for us book four <laughs> recap. And there is a little bit of sweetness to it, I think, you know, in knowing that we've only got two left of these and you know, the last one will do something special with I think um you know it, it it always recalls I don't know if I've said this before it, it seems like in a way it's like a Rush Limbaugh um you know phone line Friday kind of thing but this is kind <laughs> of the opposite it's like we're held to the subject of the books you know in the in the events of the chapter every show except for these these are <laughs> these are about us so yeah if Tolkien is the professional right on our book recap episodes, he's letting rank professionals take over the mic on Twilly. So, or uh-huh. what rank amateurs, rank over, amateurs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's we're taking over the mic. Um, so structure I'll let you give some comments here and talk about, you know, where you want to go. We'll just kind of weave it back and forth and drink our whiskey and just <laughs> enjoy not having to study this week so much. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know where I want to go first other than I think my opening comments would be that if I were to pre-read a pre-us reading through it, rank Mm -hmm. all of the books, uh, the six books, um, I, I think this one might have been low in my original, like, which after having just finished it, I can't fathom how that would possibly be the case. And yet and yet in my mind I'm sitting here going book one, book two, book three, I'm like, I'm having a hard time. They're all number one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I definitely would have thought that too. I, I would have thought that in and you know, even knowing the story, I think that after the um the taming of Smeagol and the passage of the, the Dead Marshes, I think that I was still thinking like, Hey, I think this is really great stuff is probably definitely down there below one and three. I got to tell you though, I think, I think this one might be my favorite and I think there's a lot of reasons. And that's, that's why I'm excited about doing the recap here because I think this one has just so much incredible depth and Mm -hmm. so much Christian worldview, so much character development, so many things that, that men need to act like, like it it, yeah. it really is a lot of a chapter on masculinity or a book on masculinity i think it's even mm-hmm. lacking my favorite character but i think through the course of this book i might boy it's it's a long time but i there's there's a character that's knocking on the door to actually be my favorite in the in the whole series and i wondered about that i had kind of gotten there in book 1 i think and now after spending more time i think with frodo like there's mm-hmm there's a real case to be made that that he truly is like even though he's the main character, he gets forgotten, I think in a lot of conversations, Mm -hmm. and I think he should not. I I think he might be the best character in the in the story. Yeah. And I've I've thought about that a lot too. And I think I think even
1: with us, you even more so than I, like having read this book many times, I think it it to me it speaks to the power of cinema. Because Mm -hmm. I knew like when we've <laughs> we've spared no uh spared no jabs at no, the movies. I think for some people mistreatment.
0: I think some people wonder if we even like the movies. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean in 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 this section is like this is maybe the worst adapted section in the whole. Oh, I, book.
0: I, yeah. I think it's certain that that's that's true. Unless you want to hold and, scouring the Shire against him really hard, which I probably don't.
1: Yeah. I don't think. Right. Right. And so because of that, and so where where I'm I'm ultimately aiming with that, though, is because Frodo's character is completely ravaged in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so as someone who's, you know, in the last 20 years has certainly seen the movies more times than I've read the books, Mm. um, you know, I'd say that my, you know, my coloring of Frodo was, I think, was pictured by that of having a bad taste in my mouth about his character. Mm. You know, and when I've put that aside and really slowed down and taken in what's going on, the character of Frodo, his lordliness, his character, his graciousness, you know, it's it's really striking how how great of a character he is mm. and how awful of a character he is in the movie.
0: Yeah. And I think I think it's critical <clears throat> that that we see that, that Tolkien is setting up the ultimate tragedy. Right. Mm-hmm. With, especially in this book, the way Frodo is, is that it's unthinkable. It's unthinkable that he could ever give way. You know, it's un- unthinkable that he could lose his stern will. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it is that, that book six is really going to hone us in, I think, on the power of the ring. And yeah. And the just the wear and tear. And, and a, there's a commentary that I really, you know, as we get through, like, we're about to meet new friends you know, with mm-hmm. Minas Tirith and, and Denethor. And in a lot of ways, I really can't wait to talk about that. I've been chomping at the bit for a long time to look at Gondor and, and to look at that yeah. culture. We got some of that in book four. Um, mm-hmm. Probably the best way, we, we've kind of recapped. In the recap, we've been working through, you know, what was the what was the big drive or story in every book? Um, yeah. And I think we started that probably on two. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I think I think we learned that really the drive and story on number one was probably that that the world is in danger, that good men have to get out of their homes to do mm-hmm. something, and that there's going to be dangers on that journey. Um, yeah, and then and we went from there. the The fellowship in book two, the fellowship that that starts to fall apart. You know, yeah. the need for it's wisdom, fello- right? Fellowship and breaking. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and then in book three was really the the need for the good people to join together and to trust each Mm -hmm. other and to fight together in the, in this, you know, in the face of an enemy that tries to divide and that tries to sow despair and that sort of thing. So now we're to book four. Um, Mm -hmm. what, what's your take on that? I don't think we've really talked about that. What do you think the big drive is on book four?
1: Yeah. I, I think, um, I kind of, I was reviewing a few of my notes, and not not that I have a ton of them, but I, I, I think that, you know, I think that the journey to the crossroads is sort of the pivot point, mm-hmm. um, and then, uh, and then I think this, you know, the stare of Kira Thungel is is the climax, mm-hmm. and and so because of that, like I put a lot of weight in what's happening there, and so I think I think the point. I think the point of the book is the sacrificial death march mm-hmm. um, that that frodo in, in is engaging in and then sort and then sort of all the factors around what that entails, mm. right like what is what does he need to accomplish? right? He needs resoluteness. Mm-hmm. He needs a stalwart friend. He needs a guide, mm-hmm. even if the guide is untrusting, and he needs a. He also needed surprise uh, protection, mm-hmm. um, right? I, and what I would say is, and I say surprise, but what I really mean is sovereignly appointed mm-hmm. protection, right? And so, like those are the those are the extraneous things to me that happen around the main point of book four. If I were to say, what mm-hmm. is book four about? It is about the death march of Frodo. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. Um, I think that's what it is. I think that the journey to the crossroads is what really gives that away, because then mm-hmm. he he looks at death in the Valley of Death in the Morgul yeah. Vale, right? And then he ascends the stairs into the really, you know, the Valley of the Spider, which Tolkien uses in a lot of ways to be the demonic, you know, seductive mm-hmm. influence of. Right. Of the tempter, he, the lustful, right. you know. He, she, yeah. I think we, I think we commented that
1: he, he kind of, he seemingly substitutes the serpent of scripture with a spider. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Yeah, he likes that. I think that the that the spiders eat the light. That they're all about darkness. That they're mm-hmm. they're in a terrifying environment. And that mm-hmm. sort of thing, but if you look at that, so everything before the journey to the crossroads was about Frodo getting all of the things that he's going to need in
1: mm-hmm. order to
0: take it. He, you know, he has to, you know, he has to bring his friend along with him to climb down a cliff face, you know, to find mm-hmm. their way out. He finds his guide in Sméagol. Mm-hmm. He um runs into help unlooked for with yeah. the Rangers of Ithilien and and with Faramir, and he gets to look out. Uh, you know in the window in the west he gets to look out on everything that he's going to turn his back to in order to protect mm-hmm. and i would say in order to intercede you know to be yep. the priest to turn his back on the people and to to make that sacrifice and then i think it gets very obvious at that point that he's now collected everything he needs he has the charge from the council he has the gifts of Galadriel he has um, the guide, he has the friend, he has the help unlooked for. He has basically mm-hmm. the good wishes and the blessing of everyone in the West to go into the East. And the, and if you remember the song, yeah. I think in book three, there is no voice from the East. The East is evil. So he's going yep. into he's going into the East wind where there is no voice, where there is mm-hmm. no good blessing at all. He's yeah. got all of that behind him. And, right. and that's why it's the death march. There's only death in the East. Only desolation. I think that's a really good take. I think it frames it up really nicely, and I think structurally, this book may have been one of the easiest to see the drive Mm because I do think Crossroads was pretty pretty obvious.
1: Yeah, it felt that way Um, because in just the way he again, it's it's the beauty of his writing is that he he doesn't he doesn't say and Frodo went on his death march to. But what he builds up, you know, what he builds up is that everywhere they go is desolate, is uh, the enemies are all about. Even though there's this, for some reason, there's this quietness we later find. It's because the enemies are gathering to march to war. Mm -hmm. But everywhere they go is brambles, brokenness, desolation until they get to the crossroads. And like you said, as you look in all directions, it's destruction everywhere right? Yes The, the the East road is into the, into the teeth of hell. The, you know, the South road to Anduin is, is broken by uh, Sauron's forces. The road to the West road to Osgiliath is conquered. You know, the North road back to Athelion is covered with enemies, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah. I, so I think that, that teased it up pretty well. Um, you want to, you want to let even greater amateurs <laughs> control the bike get We did have a I listener think, question this time. Um, yeah. And as is usually the habit of our listeners, it's long and I think multifaceted. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Andrew, thank you so much for the question. We're going to, yeah. we're going to take a crack at it now and Jake's got it. So we're going to read it. Yeah. We may have to stop the tape and, and all that kind yeah. of stuff and get to it. So,
1: yeah. So yeah, so Andrew um, says this question that he's had since Frodo and Sam left the Fellowship. And he says, The mental battle between Frodo and the Witch King had the ring acting directly against Frodo to get him to act in a way that benefits the ring. In earlier chapters of Book 4, there were a lot of things Frodo said or had done that had obvious moments of good character or leadership embedded in them that that we've discussed, such as how he spoke to Smeagol and Sam during conflicts and scuffles. So what I'm curious is where are areas, if any, you think the ring was acting or influencing Frodo's actions, even if the ring was mistaken about the outcome. So, um, so, the, so basically, the, there's there's a kind of a second part. So I'll jump to it too, and we can okay. Um, so his example of the question is, um, do you think the ring was constantly encouraging Frodo to follow Smeagol, not realizing it was spelling its doom? Hmm. So
0: okay. So in, in we'll take the last one first cuz I think it's a little bit easier. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> Is this our custom? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I, <laughs> and I think the reason for that is I I think that I would probably have a good beat on what the ring was actually trying to get Frodo to do, which is to go to Mordor. I think that I think in the ring and the the will of the dark lord that's latent in the ring. I think that, in a way, the wishes of the good and the wishes of the ring go together because it's to show the foolishness of the wicked, right? That Mm -hmm. that the goal, like, where the wicked thinks that the good should hide or be just like the wicked and claim the power for itself, the wicked could Mm -hmm. never conceive that the good would take it right into the heart of its strength and stab stab a sword into it. Right in the heart. So I think the ring's wishes actually coincide with the charge that Frodo has at this Mm -hmm. time to go to Mordor. Mm -hmm. Because I think it believes in Sauron. It believes that it's a stupid thing to do. Like it's playing right into (laughs) its hands to go to Mordor. Right. And I, I think what I would
1: add to that is where I think where you see the ring as the character of the ring exhibit itself is always under the guise of a powerful player because the only way that Sauron and like and we discussed it actually in She Love's Lair when we were talking about Melkor, um the, the only way they understand power is by force. Mm-hmm. And so the ring, I think the ring exerts its greatest uh, influence in the situation when a person of power is near. Mm-hmm. You know, it, its attempt is to is to turn Uh, Galadriel or Mm -hmm. to turn Gandalf into dominance of the ring or even a lesser power like Boromir is powerful Mm -hmm. you know and so that I think that's when the the ring exerts its muscle to try and out itself Mm -hmm. right is it you know is it a is it a hot fan take to say that the ring caused Sam to blurt out the existence of the ring Mm. in front of Faramir and his and his mighty men I think you can make a case for that because that's what it wants.
0: Yeah, it does. I think it looks at. I think. I think the ring would perceive that that situation is really dangerous for the ring bearer, and that Mm -hmm. it has a pathway for, you know, the young captain of Gondor who definitely does not have enough. uh, Like he definitely does not have the strength to claim the ring Mm -hmm. and to become the Lord of the Ring. But but you know, the ring knows what Boromir said. And it knows mm-hmm. that out in the wild that that's, this might be a good opportunity. And I can see mm-hmm. that. I could see it possibly exerting influence on Smeagol to even to coincide with Smeagol's mean ends, which involves Shelob, but to also go into the Valley of Death, where, because the Ring's power is spiritual, obviously, mm-hmm. right? The, yep. and, and so the Black Gate represented the physical strength of Mordor, right? The strength of the armies that it was it was teeming with trolls and orcs. But when you look, the, the Morgul veil in Minas Morgul is not full to the brim of orcs looking around everywhere. What it is full of is sorcery and magic and a death smell. And really where the ring flourishes as a spiritual weapon is that I think it calls out, and we know that the Witch King perceives the presence of power in the valley. And so that is obviously the most dangerous part of book four. Mm. It's the climax Mm -hmm. that I think you've identified rightly. And I think that the ring wanted to be there for sure. It looks at that as being the only better place for the ring to be than Minas Morgul would be Barad-Dur itself, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that was an extremely dangerous encounter. There's the silent watchers. It's an impenetrable thing, but you know, also Sauron's right hand, his only real trusted servant, is there. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. Right. He doesn't fully trust any of his other servants, besides right. the Witch King. Yeah, right. Uh, I think one of the Orcs said that they're the apple of his eye, mm-hmm. right? The Nazgul, or the the apple of yeah. the tower of Lugburz's eye, right. right? Yeah. So yeah. there's a there's a lot to that. Um Right. So I think that that probably handles kind of both. Like, where does the ring? Exert its mm-hmm. influence, um, right? Do you have anything yeah. more to add on it? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay,
1: <laughs> but no, it's, thanks for the question. Yeah, and, and I think, and I think, to just to encourage Andrew and anyone else, is is like those are that's a great question to ask and consider as you read. Mm-hmm. You know, is like what, like what's he trying to do? Mm-hmm. You know, like what's the point of the ring? What's the right and I think like Josh said, the point of the ring is that there's there's a physical evil and there's a spiritual evil and they're both in play mm-hmm. and right And I think that's indicative of, of our worldview that that there's a spiritual and a physical and they're both in play mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah the more dangerous one is the spiritual one, but there is a physical enemy also, you know and mm-hmm. there are physical obstacles. Yeah, yeah, that's good. We did have a question from a from a non listener that was oh, <laughs> well, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, it, it was, yeah. the uh, The question was how many more of these are we gonna do? <laughs> and the answer, yeah. I think, is uh, like somewhere between twenty two and twenty six, probably on the yeah. Lord of the Rings. So, well, and
1: then it, buckle up because we're gonna do the Silmarillion. Yeah, so. yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> If we do the Silmarillion makes there might be 96 episodes of that one. I'm not sure. I, it's it's daunting to even think about how to do it. Really, there
1: there there'd be 10 episodes on the first four pages.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, buckle up for that. I'm I'm really enjoying Lord of the Rings, and we are now two thirds done, which is a yeah. a pretty crazy thing. I think it's been a year. A I think I think this one will come out, and it'll be basically a year. So we've mm-hmm. we've covered four books in a year um yeah and we've we've kept a i think a pretty disciplined pace which is yeah which is kind of crazy you know to yeah to hit it weekly i think we only had maybe one one stutter one there. yeah one or yeah. two where we where we didn't get one out and yep, you know now we're back one pretty crazy and all that yeah it's good stuff um i think it speaks to the enjoyment of it you know yeah. that's a lot of fun to do okay so want to get into yeah. our laundry list of musings and questions things we do every time
1: yeah, I think I think it's time for that. Okay. All right. You first.
0: Okay. I'll throw you an easy one. Okay. There is a right answer to it. <laughs> 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 but I think I've got it first. I think I got it first last time. So it's it's time for the ask it to you. What is the best chapter title in book four?
1: <laughs> Ooh. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> No pressure. <laughs>
1: Before we before we got all the way through, I think it was of herbs and stewed rabbit, mm. but that's not the answer for okay, me. Good, it's gonna so that I say that one because it's my honorable mention. Okay, um, I think it's the window on the west.
0: <laughs> ding ding ding! <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Like well, yeah, yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> I think <laughs> the, the the reason
1: <laughs> I think that last. I think Frodo leaving, Athelion, um, uh, him uh, leaving Henneth Annun, and really that I don't that doesn't actually happen in that chapter, <laughs> right? <laughs> but but it sets the stage of um, like what what's happening, and you know he's essentially Tolkien is closing the curtain mm-hmm. on the West for Frodo, yep. and you, I think you mentioned that in sort of our, our sort of our preamble conversation and so it's this point of like all that's all that's beautiful all the things that were made like by the great kings the great men of the past all the great civilizations are in the west and Frodo's getting one last glimpse of that Mm -hmm. um and so I think I think that's why because again he's so tongue-in-cheek about stuff but there's a lot more to it just like it's called just being called the window on the West has a lot more depth than it, than it would appear Mm -hmm. to.
0: Yeah. I think it's very clever. I think it, I think it indicates one of the turning points in the story. I think the name itself gives you a clue of the structure of the book. I think it also, there's, there's the, the play of lights, like the dazzling lights of the, the water shimmering down that really is showing Mm -hmm. like that's looking out on the West, that, that the West is a kingdom of light. That you know you're looking on the old tower of the sun, you know that's now fallen as the tower of the guard, it, it, and and what what Frodo's going to do is he's going to turn completely away from the beauty of the light and go into where there's no light at all. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that is the right answer. I think it's I think it's one of the best <laughs> chapter titles in the story when you think of where it sits in the in the story, what it means. I think my honorable mm-hmm. mention would have been the choices of Master Samwise. Um, mm. I like how he yeah. telegraphed it. I really yeah. do. I like how because yeah. I think a lot of the the naming of that chapter is giving Samwise his due. Like yeah. he he gets a name chapter like Strider, you know right. that yeah that it's a it's an important one to to say that hey the whole quest is going to hinge on the choices. But it's not as good right. a chapter title as Window in the West. And I think I don't know why why would you have a Virgin Stewed Rabbit as an honorable mention. Yeah, I
1: think it's um, that it's the it's this little package of the last little piece of civilized country, mm-hmm. and where there's the last there's this because even here, like this is a tense situation when they go into Henneth A Verbs and Steward Rabbit is this last little bit of Hobbitness mm-hmm. that happens mm-hmm. because they get right Sam gets to cook a hobbit like a shire like meal right right before they get captured um before they go through this interrogation and then before sort of the final march into darkness and so i think for me it's a, it's a one i think it harkens back to the shire which is which are the lighter and most i think are the most um uh gravitational things of the book right like when you read these the thing you would desire most is to be a, a citizen of the Shire. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, I think that's and true. So, I think that's why book yeah. one is so powerful. <clears> Just so <throat> mm-hmm. it, it's so compelling because of that. Right.
1: <clears throat> right. So um, quick soapbox. Okay. Uh, really interesting too, because not a lot of books, particularly more current books use chapter headings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in some sense, I think it's, Tolkien's cleverness in helping the reader mm-hmm. and and giving you a little like a little taste of, into what he's trying to do, mm-hmm. but I got to imagine too that, that that's a hard thing, right? To sort of encapsulate um, many words of mm-hmm. right <laughs> of writing into a, a succinct. You know, into a succinct heading. Yeah, that that in many cases is really like he's really clever with it, and and I think it's helpful for us because we can kind of get a glimpse as to what's going on. But it's also, I think it's more work out of him to take the time to do that for us. Oh, I so I'm really it. appreciative of it.
0: As a guy who has to title sermons all the time, like I can tell mm-hmm. you, it's 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 tough sometimes. And I think he just constantly hits it out of the park with it. Like mm-hmm. I, I think, I think the chapter titles add so much. I think they do Agreed. really help, and I think I think they help steer you a lot yeah. of times in a really subtle way. And some of them are just clever. Like I'll tell you, like I love the chapter title of "Herbs and Stewed Rabbit" because I think it's one of the more memorable titles in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, they, and and I think it's because it's so different and it's clever, and it and it recalls something yeah. that you know that yeah. we pine for a little bit, right. Right and Gollum that's, should have pine for it more because I, th- yeah. I think that's a momentous moment in where Sam offers hey I'll cook you this at home all mm-hmm. the time if you if you go the right way and I, I think that's yeah. one of those subtle just gut punch moments of book four and it's full of yeah. them it's it's right. full of them no. right so I think no, it's your turn
1: lot. right um I think I'm gonna go with uh what would be your favorite? Um, yeah, what's your favorite moment in book four? So not like, I'm not looking for climactic or important. Like, what was your, what's your favorite
0: scene? Man, I, I think, I think there, I think it's where in Forbidden Pool, where Frodo has the internal struggle, where he thinks about going back and never having to hear that voice again that hmm. that voice of Gollum, and he says to himself no the the servant has a claim on the master i think you know it kind of brings me to tears a little bit as i think now i think it's i think it it's the moment that probably has clicked frodo into that spot of like i think he's so honorable i think he's I think he's an incredible mm-hmm. character, and I think that was the moment that that kind of knocked me down. Look, there's more bombastic things mm-hmm. like Witch King and and stuff like that, but but I think that moment really stuck out, and I think that was my favorite episode that we've done in a long time. And I think you know that mm-hmm. that chapter is just a, a real powerhouse that's often forgotten too.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah. I think it's I think it's the point where you see Frodo is. Right. Like what a what a priest ought to do. Right. Is Mm -hmm. he at that moment, he lays his life down for his servants, even an unworthy servant. Mm -hmm. Right. Gollum is not worthy of Frodo. Mm -hmm. No, not at all. No. (laughs) And and, you know, and and Frodo sticks his neck out and and, you know, at that at the moment, like he he puts his life on the line for Gollum. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: How How about you?
1: <sighs> I think, <laughs> I think for me, the the scene and it it is the climax scene. Yep. But I I, I thought I about going with it. I just I haven't been able to get it out of my head, and <laughs> um, and there is probably a lot. This is the answer probably to a lot of the questions around all of book four, mm-hmm. but the scene of the struggle between Frodo and the Witch King in the Morgul Vale is like, it's incredibly gripping. It's, I think it's got, I think it's got sovereign hand stuff, but it also has, I think (laughs) things we've talked about in church is like, it's got convergence as well Mm -hmm. where (laughs) Frodo is, I think Frodo has been, Tested with disobedience to Gandalf's command at Weathertop, right mm-hmm. where he's told, "Do not put on the ring," mm-hmm. and he he f- he fails. Um, and there's right, and then I think there's a there is a consequence to that failing, um, but he's spared, and and he he gets a he gets a rejoinder here where he gets to face the Witch King again with the same temptation in a higher stakes situation Mm -hmm. and, and he obeys, he obeys the command. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, there's just a lot. I don't know. It's, it's of course it's written so perfectly. Um, I think the scenes gripping Frodo's character is in full bloom at that Mm -hmm. moment as well. And, and the terror of the witch King is as well, because there's the other part, too, where because of the scene setting where the Minas Borgol has sent the sorceress signal declaring itself a marching to war, mm-hmm. signaling to Sauron that that the captain is ready. Um, this fell captain, you know, can sense the presence of its master's trinket. Yep. It's just it's 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 an incredibly gripping scene. And I really haven't I like I seriously haven't been able to stop thinking about it since we read it.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, it's the it's the guts of this narrative. And mm-hmm. and I think that even in a way that that what I chose as my favorite scene is probably the preparation for it that mm-hmm. that Frodo has had to choose the path of of virtue, I would say Christ like Christ likeness. Like I think what mm-hmm. happens is that at one point he's you know he's playing. He's putting on the priestly garments and he's interceding for the the rebel. You know Gollum, the one who would betray him. But then, then with the Witch King, it's it's the garden, in a sense, where he denies the temptation, or he's you know mm-hmm. out in the wilderness, where he's going to he's going to basically prove his righteousness and, and prove mm-hmm. that he is going to be a righteous priest, because yeah. the temptation is severe there and it's external like christ would have experienced in the wilderness with satan that it's a Mm -hmm. it's a temptation external to him because i think tolkien very pointedly says frodo doesn't have an actual temptation to put on the ring from inside Mm -hmm. he has no desire Mm -hmm. i think it's that i think that weaves that weaves this thing together and that he's also almost spent when that one's over it is almost like the 40 days of fasting kind of thing that after the encounter with the witch king he does not have much left in the tank when they run into the demon spider, and that's where right. it has to be, Sam. Yeah, you know his right. friend has to be ready. Yeah. So yeah, it's really good. Um, so I got a question. If you, <laughs> I'll just I'll just twofold it so we don't miss it. Um, favorite movie adaptation out of this book, like favorite moment the movie adapted out of this book, and this will be the harder part to le- to to even it out. The worst thing. That the movies did with this book that they actually did or that they omitted either one worst. <laughs> so the best, the best adaptation and the worst use of adaptation with this book, whether that's by omission or by how they did something or what they added, whatever, yeah. how they dealt with this book. It's
1: weird. The first things that pop into my mind, and then I'll, I'll throw an honorable mention to try and steal all the marbles before you get a chance. Okay. <laughs> the, I think, interestingly, my best and worst are all within the same, like, two-minute package. Okay. Because yep. I, I, think, I think that, and it's going to be the same scene, but I think the the call scene where they send the blue flame mm-hmm. up into the sky from Minas Morgul. And it's seen, and so you see in the movie, you get sort of a response of red lightning mm-hmm. from dur And you also see um Minas Tirith, right, witness the the signal. And right. so they know they know what's up. And I think it does it captures what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. It's Sauron affirming his captain to go conquer in his name. It's the dread of Gondor to you know to see to see Sauron come towards them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think even though I think in some sense they'd have to know it's coming like, but it is the, it's the, like you're moving to a war and it's never, it's not real until it is real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think, I think that's to me the, the honor. And then my honorable mention is just like an overall is just Gollum is, (laughs) is amazingly done. Um,
0: Yeah. And this is his, this is his moment to shine is this book. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think the worst is the same i think missing <laughs> missing the the climax scene of the books is an awful omission mm-hmm. where essentially what you get is the witch king flying out, commanding his army mm-hmm. instead of pausing on the bridge um and i think I think they could have done something really phenomenal with this with this struggle while difficult. Mm-hmm. I, I think they could have played up, you know, some sense of sort of the shadowy groping hand of the Witch King looking around, mm-hmm. you know, the Morgul Vale trying to find the the calling of the Ring. Yeah, you know, and and the re- the only reason is because when you read through these chapters, it's like that is clearly the pinch point of the whole section of the book. Right, and to and to not have it is criminal <laughs> right right yeah not good
0: yeah.
1: so yeah all right so there'll Your be turn. a little
0: overlap i i i think i agree i'll make it a little more specific i think the best adaptation is definitely Gollum, and i think i think particularly that <laughs> that the eman wheel works pretty well and that yeah and i think the the dead marshes works well um, I think mm-hmm. I think all the way up to *Herbs and Stew Rabbit*. I think I think *Gollum* is really effective. I think they catch a lot of what Tolkien is doing in the in the work there that that he's kind of growing and he, he's having this internal struggle. Um, the acting and the motion capture was groundbreaking. I mean, it's I think it's still not been equaled. Like it might have been technically equaled with animation, but I don't think the mm-hmm. fusion between actor and and computer generated uh, character I don't think it's been equaled I, th- I think they just it's it's just an astounding cinematic achievement and I think I think yeah. the more stuff you watch the more just incredible it is that they pulled that off like he, he yeah. really is just amazing
1: um in 2002 yeah
0: yeah <laughs> yeah um, and you know it's funny like you know my girls were watching the Hobbit movies and where you know he makes his appearance in reals in dark which is by far the best scene in that movie. And he, he definitely looks better technically, but I mean, it's in the same realm as what they had done years earlier. You know, like it was just, it was a crazy thing. So enough gushing. I don't, I feel like we don't gush about the movies enough. That is something like Gollum really was just stupendous. Like Mm -hmm. in some ways, in some ways, the two towers is epically great just because Mm -hmm. of that. Even right. It's, it's just one of those things that's so mind blowing still, He's, he's so magnetic to watch. I think mean, he right. still is. Um, yeah. You know, the riddles in the dark scene, in the Hobbit had us on pins and needles. Like, he's just, he's a mesmerizing mm-hmm. character. Right. So they, they really killed yeah. it there. Yeah, um, agreed. Did you have an interjection there? Uh, no, I was just going to, um,
1: it was uh, just agreeing with you. Yeah. I think he's just, I think Circus is just, I think, extraordinarily magnetic mm-hmm. in, in the role.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, the the bad thing the I'll so I'll go in a different direction um, and say that it's always bothered me. It was never defensible. the The writers' defense of it was silly because they don't even back in twenty years ago. It shows how feminized we are. Is they're gutting of Faramir? Um, yeah, it's horrible. It's cringy. It's they. Sh- it wastes time. Like yep. they shouldn't be. They should not go to Osgiliath. Faramir should have been the manly stud that he is and yeah. said not if this thing was laying by the road would I take it that he honors his word that he's that he's not like the visibly powerful Boromir like they just mm-hmm. kill his character and it has long-term consequences because yeah. now now he's kind of the weenie boy that gets sent yeah. out to die by Denethor it loses so much of its punch and its weight yeah. and I think the actor yeah. was good like I think that I think that the tools were there where he could have pulled it off and looked mm-hmm. masculine. I think he was enough like and unlike Boromir in mm-hmm. look that I, it just it's it's such a horrible decision. And their justification mm-hmm. of it was we couldn't have somebody just not be swayed by the ring. And it's like yeah, I mean, you already had Gandalf, Aragorn, Elrond, Gimli, Galadriel. Galadriel like yeah, you could. <laughs> Uh-huh. You you could and you just, really should have. Yeah. and they swap they swap this intense moment, you know, yeah. with in in the Morgul Vale with a cheat moment on top of a deal at Osgiliath, right? You know, which is not the same yeah. at all. And right, it just doesn't work. So
1: yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with that. And yeah, it is. It's it's cheap too, and and I think too, it's missing the point too of like. Well, temptation of the ring is not this like that's not the same thing as giving way to the ring, right? Right, like when Frodo's Dracula, never going to
0: hand the ring out to the Witch King, right? That's not what he wants to do. He's he's right. debating whether he has the strength to claim it, right? Which is an entirely exactly. different discussion. Like, right. that, like him. Act, look, it's the, nah, we can go on the Frodo thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. Well, in the same vein, right? Well, like Galadriel is tempted by the ring, and she rightly refuses it, mm-hmm. just because she's tempted by it. Like F- mm-hmm. Faramir, in his when in his confrontation with it, he speaks his temptation aloud mm-hmm. the same way that Galadriel does, right? Which is a virtuous quality, right. unlike. Boromir who mutters under his breath, mm-hmm. right? And keeps building up the tension and the guilt in his heart exactly. until it finally explodes out in in a sinful, right? In a sinful diatribe.
0: Well, in a lot of ways he acts like Gollum. Mm-hmm. Like Gollum is muttering, mm-hmm. sneaking off in the middle of the night. He's he's Absolutely. scheming how he's going yep. to ambush essentially. Right. And and that's what yep. Boromir did. And he found his yep. moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, your turn. Yep. <laughs> My turn. <laughs> we got a few more okay. minutes.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, I think. What is, yeah, what was a uh, a biggest surprise for you?
0: Um, in reading this time, I think, man, there's I think there's two ways to go. I, so I I'll just I'll just go with one. I think the biggest surprise was how Shelob hit this time with the history, like how Tolkien was breadcrumbing the mm-hmm. greater story with a a thing that's often thought of as being funny and cutesy. You know, it's like the old stories, Mr. Frodo, like that sort of thing. How Tolkien was definitely using that moment of levity to set up this devastating encounter that was gonna be a callback, you know, to the demon ungoliant and the stealing of the light. And it's just so obvious. I don't know how I don't know how <laughs> I missed it all these years, but I was I was just Taken aback by that. Kind of embarrassed that I missed it, but also just seeing, like, wow, he, he truly... When you slow down, when you don't get just taken in by the scenery, like, he mm-hmm. is really doing something and moving you around, and he has this subtext, and he's built a world, and, you know, he just calls off these characters. It's like, it's like when this happened, and he gives no explanation. <laughs> but it, right. It builds this history behind, and then Shelob becomes, I think, just grows in terror, Because Mm -hmm. you see but really what happens is she is a lesser of Ungoliant and so it's not you know, it's not the Valar themselves that throw her down. It is the star of Erendil that tortures her, you know, and it's a little Mm -hmm. hobbit that hurts her, you know. Mm -hmm. And so you see it is it is like the old stories, and there's parts of this story that are greater than the old stories, but there's parts of the old stories that are greater than this story. We always think that we live in the most like, this is the craziest time ever. And it's like, that's right. that's not true. There's some, there's some things now that are, you know, that are more perilous. And there's some things that are way less perilous than have happened in mm-hmm. the past. And there's great heroes today, but there were greater heroes then, you know, and, yeah. and stuff like that. So, I think that yeah. was the part that surprised me the most.
1: Mm. Interesting. No, that's a good one. How about you? Yeah,
0: uh, for me, um,
1: yeah, I think kind of an interesting one is I think the the surprising thing to me was uh, kind of going back to um, Faramore, Faramir's men. So like just the, so really in the forbidden pool when Anborn and his men don't shoot Gollum on sight.
0: Mm.
1: Right. When I think, I think it's a testament to, it was a testament to, and I, and I, I like, let me back up for a second because I knew, like, I remembered Faramir's character well, and I remembered his virtues and his quality, you know. And I think, like, that wasn't a stun. I think it was more seeing the hierarchy play through, mm-hmm. right? Is that these were men who, look, they had, they had, they were full at full liberty to shoot down Gollum in the Forbidden Pool. It was a violation of the law, which is instant death, it's risk to their position, the right, you know, they would no like they would not have been even questioned to have done it. Mm. You know, but I think it's a testament to the wisdom that Faramir showed to, like, display to his men and that they in turn receive from him and carry forward. Right. And, And I think, I think kind of the surprise part of that is just seeing, like, Tolkien's view of the hierarchy down the trail. And we see it you know, we are seeing it with Samwise, um in you know, in response to Frodo. But I think I don't know, I think it was something that I was pleasantly surprised by. Um and so just like holding going to seek for counsel, which is something again that Tolkien's pretty relentless on, mm-hmm. on wise people doing. Yep. Um, you know, and and I think in, in light of too them them having hunted Gollum while they've been there. Mm-hmm. Like they had to have had some kind of guess at who it was. Mm -hmm. Um, You know? (laughs) And, and so I don't know, I think kind of a, kind of a weird pick, but it was one of those, it was another thing that just kind of stuck with me as we read it.
0: Yeah. My, my honorable mention was just that chapter Mm -hmm. the forbidden pool chapter. Um, Yeah. I think I was just completely blown away by it. it, Mm -hmm. It's a, it's just an amazing piece on on character on the two on yeah. the on really the three characters that you know Gollum yeah. and Faramir and Frodo. Um, yeah, I don't know how much else do you got? I got a couple of things, but not yeah. too awful much.
1: No, not much. Maybe one.
0: Okay, one more thing. So, what <laughs> if if you could? I mean, if you could. I don't want to do it that way. <laughs> so, uh, what was your favorite chapter? Not chapter title. What was your favorite chapter in this book?
1: Hmm. <laughs> I think I think it's the Forbidden Pool, mm-hmm. and I think Choices of Master Samwise would be a close second. Okay. Um, but I think it's the Forbidden Pool for for the reasons that like you were kind of just pointing at is that it's a, it's a highly character driven chapter. It's got a lot of, it's got a lot of parts. I think it has, you know, it has the men of, it really has the Numenorean men, right? Not the, not the men of Gondor, but the men of Numenor acting justly, Mm -hmm. even, even at a, even at a great peril to themselves. Um, So it's got that going on. It's got the development of Faramir and. His uh, his dealing with Frodo with the knowledge of the Ring with Gollum himself, um, and then of course Frodo standing in for you know Gollum his contemplation of having Gollum executed. Uh, and ultimately not doing that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just a lot. There's a lot of powerful character work done there that's going to pay huge dividends, and some of them have, already have, mm-hmm. but that pays huge dividends throughout the whole story.
0: Yeah, I think I think that was definitely my favorite chapter too. I would just use a little time here to to give a shout out to the taming of of uh, and mm-hmm. the passage of the marshes. And I think the reason why is because those in some ways are kind of thankless chapters, but, but Mm -hmm. Tolkien is in a, Tolkien is in a process over and over now of just meticulously setting the table and then just kind of letting it work out. And I, I think Mm -hmm. that those, both those chapters, they have moments in them where there's, there's stuff that's just crucially important for the rest. You know, the, Mm -hmm. the black gate is closed, changes the whole trajectory of the quest. And, and the guide really shows you know, whether, you know, the sovereign hand, but also where that convergence happens. Like, there is a destiny mm-hmm. for Frodo and for the world, but also Smeagol's little scheming bad plans. It really recalls Joseph and his brothers that, you know, that what they intended for evil was used for good. Mm-hmm. Like, what Smeagol intends for evil is definitely used for good. Because he definitely mm-hmm. steers that way because he wants a chance to get the ring back. And Shelob yep. is his best chance to get the ring back. Right. I think he struggles with that decision on the road. Like, I, th- yeah. I think that... There's moments where he he probably doubts himself and doesn't want to. I think even as late as, you know, on the stairs of Cirith Ungle where, where he sees them, you know, Frodo sleeping and is just kind of mm-hmm. taken over by maybe this wistful kind of desire of like, you know, where he kind of paws at him, right? Like, man, yeah. like he's drawn to something beautiful, but he's yep. he's just too far gone and he's too... He's too lustful and obsessed. But yeah, I mm-hmm. wanna just give a shout out to them because I think I think the thing yeah. doesn't work. But those those are often kind of the thankless chapters mm-hmm. that make the others have those payoffs. Like right. he, he's putting money in the bank that that then it gets it, it gets that gripping stuff that makes the deposit, you know, come out. So hmm Yeah. Probably it's probably time for probably just time for one more, I think. Yeah.
1: And then quotes. Yep. Yep. Um, Yeah, I was trying. I was trying to figure out how to. There's the obvious uh, Sheila moment, but I was going to say, how many or where's the best Tom Bombadil tie-in in? in (laughs) (laughs) Good question, Book Four. (laughs) How many times did he get mentioned in Book Four? Oh man, more or less than three.
0: Uh. I think it's less, if I'm Hmm. remembering right. Um, It's a real shame. Yeah, yeah. Are we? uh, (laughs) You know, it is. It is super interesting how he comes back there. Like, it is. I think that. You know, because Tolkien, Tolkien, like, famously doesn't want you to really know what he is. You know Mm -hmm. what he's about. He's, he's purposely like a mystery wrapped in an enigma. You know Mm -hmm. that. that, (laughs) Yeah to ask the question is in some ways to almost miss the point. And I, and I do think Wiley did a great job with that in his book, you know, that in the house of Tom Bombadil. Um, but I, I do think it's, it's really telling that, that Sam, that Sam sees Tom Bombadil as being hope, light power over death, that, that he's had that impact. And it was this earthy, jolly, you know, man who was dressed really silly, who sang all the time, and I think that mm-hmm. in some ways in Sam's mind, that's the exact opposite of Sheila's lair, right? Mm-hmm. Sheila's lair is dark, stinky, you know, death-filled, mm-hmm. confusing. Tom Bombadil is, you know, his garden is well-kept. You know, it's clean and fresh. It rains while they're there and washes away mm-hmm. grime. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's an idyllic place, and, and I think that, I think I think in a lot of ways that Bombadil is a specter that kind of hangs over the whole story in a lot of ways because of the hierarchy play because mm-hmm. because his good is unassailable like yeah. even the darkness of Shelob would have would not quail Tom Bombadil for one second but we're told pointedly that you know the Elf lords had never made it through Shelob's lair when she turns her mm-hmm. mind on prey they're gone you know that's mm-hmm. that's what we're told but Bombadil wouldn't worry about Shelob because yeah. darkness has no hold on him whatsoever right so that's that would be the the tie-in i think um and yeah. great great job because we definitely <laughs> needed to talk about tom again i almost smart you <laughs> put him in in what was your biggest surprise <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, I missed yeah. a chance you know it's been a long time since i mentioned the fox in uh, in book one All right <laughs> that's true yeah I did think about yeah, that think, earlier in this episode too. You're, you're I was really slipping. striving, striving to find a way to fit in that fox. <laughs> He's a lot really harder a lot of, to fit in than Tom Bombadil.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm pretty sure we did talk about Tom um, when we were talking about Athelion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for um, sure. How it's how it's sort of the last bastion of um, of we, resistance. We might to have done desolation. three exactly. Yeah,
0: I think we might have.
1: Right. We're gonna have to. Yeah,
0: we're gonna have to do better. We <laughs>
1: Now there's obviously to, uh, a
0: built-in one in book 6 also. Uh-huh. But yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll have to yeah. do better. We'll th- <laughs> I don't know how he's going to fit. 5 5 seems like probably the biggest stretch. Uh-huh. for Tom, But you know, you never yeah. know. I mean, there yeah. is There's all we'll kinds dig of, there's there's stuff, you know. We'll
1: dig We'll dig for all ten of you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll work. We know what our audience expects. All right, so we're down to the end. We're just going to end with a favorite quote and It's, you know, it's probably kind of mic drop type stuff, so.
1: (laughs) You want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. I'll go first. All right, my quote, it's an interesting one, I think. Um, It's from The Window on the West, and it's Faramir. So I'll read the quote, and then uh, we can talk about it a little bit and why I think it's important. Um, Alas for Boromir, it was too sore a trial. He said... How you have increased my sorrow, you two strange wanderers from a far country, bearing the peril of men. But you are less judges of men than I of halflings. We are truth speakers, we men of Gondor. We boast seldom and then perform or die in the attempt. Not if I found it on the highway would I I take it, I said. Even if I were such a man as to desire this thing, and even though I knew not clearly what this thing was when I spoke... Still, I should take those words as a vow and be held by them. That's a man. <laughs> yeah. And much I, trouble I picked, in
0: this world would be avoided if that was the ethic.
1: Yeah. Mm. And that's. I think that's why I I, I picked it because um, I think that even even in his ignorance of so there's there's two there's two big things going on in that quote. Um, the the primary driver is that even in his ignorance of the weapon of the enemy, he made a vow before his full knowledge of it, and he holds himself to that vow because he's a man of virtue, right? Without fully knowing what it is, he says, Not if I saw it, and you even referenced it earlier in this episode. Not if I saw it by the side of the road would I take it. And he he said and he says I I should take those words as a vow and be held by them, right? Um, and I think that um, being held by our words, I think even speaking, um, you know, I think speaking words of sternness or of commitment is something that we lack. Mm. Uh, but then even beyond that of speaking words of commitment to be held by them mm-hmm. is something that's, that's really powerful. But I think you also... You get to you see um, the wisdom and and I think the the heart of of Boromir or of Faramir, right? That they've they brought sorrow to him because of the death of his brother. But it's not even just that; it's that the death of his brother was through ill means, right? Through mm-hmm. Boromir's loss of virtue in in the presence of the Ring, which is a great I think is a great sorrow. And so you see, I think you see a love of love of people, obviously, obviously a love of brother. But I think the right seeing the seeing the um, the brokenness of Faramir at his brother's moral failing Mm. is a deep thing that you know that I think it's part two for us. Is one is to is to feel the burdens of our of our brothers greatly. Um, and while there's time to intervene in it, I have no doubt that if Faramir um, had encountered Boromir again, that he, he would have intervened mm-hmm. on this matter.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think so. That's so, a really good one. Um, yeah. Mine is, mine is a, the ode to Samwise and also mm-hmm. the hierarchy. And I think, you know, what's going on, it is in the choices of Master Samwise. It says... Then at last he began to weep, and going to Frodo, he composed his body and folded his cold hands upon his breast, and wrapped his cloak about him, and he laid his own sword at one side and the staff that Faramir had given at the other. If I'm to go on, he said, then I must take your sword by your leave, Mister Frodo, but I'll put this one to lie by you as it lay by the old king in the barrow, and you've got your beautiful mithril coat from old Mister Bilbo and your star glass, Mister Frodo. You did lend it to me, and I'll need it, for I'll always be in the dark now. But it's too good for me, and the lady gave it to you. But maybe mm-hmm. she'd understand. Do you understand, Mister Frodo? I've got to go mm-hmm. on. <laughs> 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 I, I,
1: I pull at the heart. <laughs> I think it.
0: I think it just so beautifully shows Sam that mm-hmm. he he knows his mission and he's in a time of real confusion when he says that, but what he knows for sure is that he loves his master and he knows that, um, that he's not worthy to take up what he's about to take up. And so I think it's so interesting that he even asks leave and he's just tortured in his mind about whether Mm -hmm. he's stepping out of, you know, whether he's going out above his skis. Um, and ultimately, I think it's it's interesting because we would say, I think as we say, we would be like, duh, Sam, you're the last one in the company. Frodo's dead. You got to take the ring. Take whatever you need to. He's a dead body. And move on. And what, what ultimately happens here is that Sam does realize that he was wrong to leave Frodo, even mm-hmm. dead. There's kind of this, like, honor and Marines thing and leaving no one behind, but also, like... Sam just understands that there is no mission for him besides Frodo, and so as he turns around, the whole quest is saved, and we'll 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 have to wait a long time to see it in book six. But but the whole quest is saved because of the choices of Master Samwise, that mm-hmm. that he goes mission first from the council, but then he turns back because he realizes that his mission was actually to not ever lose sight of Frodo. Um, yeah. So his his momentary bravery to take the ring and to take the file and to take Sting saves the quest, but ultimately the quest is saved again by Sam turning back and doing what he was supposed to do. And hmm. I think that's some of I think what I read is also some of Tolkien's most beautiful writing in Book Four. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. the emotion just pours out of it. It's it's yeah. hard to get through. It's it's tough. Yeah. It's tough to get through. Well, that's my that's my pick mm. for book four. Nice, it's a good choice. Well, does that? Uh, I think that, I think that puts the pin in the book four recap. Um, really enjoyed yeah. it. Think it was a good time. Um, so we'll sign off and tell our tell our listeners to uh, join us again next time as we break into book five and start to learn about Minas Tirith. Until then, yeah. take care and keep reading.